Good morning. This is Pastor Mike Letterman with ChristLives.org. Today we continue our series of lessons on the servant Jesus taken from the book of Mark. Today our text comes from Mark chapter 6 verses 1 through 6 and I've entitled this one, You Can't Go Home Again. Let's read from God's Word. And he went out thence, and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this, which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of jo Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there could do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. Wow. You know, Thomas Wolfe wrote a novel entitled You Can't Go Home Again. The book is about a man named George Weber. He's an author who's written a successful book about his hometown. And when he returns home, he expects to receive a hero's welcome. Instead, he's driven out of the town by his own friends and family. They feel betrayed by what he has written about them in his book. Weber is shaken by their reaction to his work and leaves his hometown behind to go find himself. George Weber discovered that those who know you best tend to respect you the least. Our text finds Jesus returning to Nazareth. He's going home again. Our Lord's return to his hometown does not go the way one might expect it to. I mean, after all, Jesus is something of a celebrity by this time. He's been going around the countryside, preaching, teaching, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead, and controlling the forces of nature. He has proven that, that there is something very special and very different about him. Of course, the last time Jesus was in Nazareth, things did not go too well for him. He went to the synagogue and preached from Isaiah chapter 61. You can see this in the text of Luke 4, verses 16 through 20. And in that service, Jesus proclaimed himself to be the Jewish Messiah. The people of Nazareth rejected his message and tried to kill him by throwing him over a cliff. He left Nazareth and preached in other places in Galilee. Now a year later, he returns to the very place he was so cruelly rejected. He wants to give his family, his friends, and his neighbors another chance to receive him and his message. That's grace. I am amazed that God would give you and I one chance, much less opportunity after opportunity to believe in him and his gospel. Thank God for his good grace. When Jesus arrives in Nazareth, he's not greeted by anxious crowds. It seems that they ignored him until the Sabbath day came and they all went to the synagogue. I want to consider our Lord's visit to Nazareth today. And what happened there has something to say to those who are saved and to those who do not know the Lord. 
What is of real interest here is the people's reaction to our Lord's preaching and his person. Their reaction cost them his power. Let's take a look at the events of that Sabbath day visit to the synagogue in Nazareth. Let's notice the ways that people responded to the Lord and what their, their response actually cost them. First of all, we see in verse 2 that the people were shocked by his preaching. When Jesus began to speak, the people who heard him were astonished. This word means to be seized with panic, to be struck with terror, to be stricken with startling and sudden alarm. And when they heard Jesus, they were actually filled with fear. They immediately began to speak among themselves and talk about three areas of the Lord's ministry that amazed them. First of all, it was his words. When Jesus preached, he did so with grace and charm. His words were filled with divine authority. He did not speak like the local rabbis. They quoted other rabbis and had no sense of certainty in their words. But when Jesus spoke, he did so with a sense that he knew what he was talking about. He left no doubt in the minds of his hearers that his words must either be accepted or rejected. He left his hearers no wiggle room. In fact, when some officers were sent from the Pharisees to hear what Jesus had to say, they came back and said, Never man spake like this man. John chapter 7 verse 46. And when the people of Nazareth heard Jesus speak, they were amazed. Let's look at his wisdom. When Jesus spoke, his words were filled with truth. The people heard him declare, Old truth in new ways. They listened as he taught spiritual truth by using the common everyday things about him. While his illustrations may have called on the common, the truth he preached was anything but common. The Lord's wisdom left them shaking their heads in disbelief. Then there was his works. The Lord's fame had preceded him to Nazareth. They had heard about the miracles he had performed in other places. They could not believe that a young man from their own town could do the miracles that were attributed to him. The people of Nazareth could not believe what they were hearing and who they were hearing it from. They heard what Jesus had to say and they were left with their mouths hanging open. Now, I want you to realize our Lord's message still affects people in the same way. When you read the Bible and study the message of the gospel, it can cause you to be astonished. Consider some of the claims of the Bible. Number one, all people are sinners. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 20. Galatians chapter 3, verse 22. All sinners are headed to a place called hell. And number two, Psalm 9, 17. Romans 2, verses 8 through 9. Number three, there is only one way to be saved from sin and its penalty. Acts 4.12, 1 John 2.23. All other religions in the world are false religions and they all lead to hell. That's number four. And that's from John chapter 3, verse 18. And number five, 
the only way, the only way for anyone to be saved is for them to place their faith in a man who lived, died, and rose again from the dead 2,000 years ago. John chapter 14, verse 6, chapter 10, verse 9. Those are amazing claims because they condemn much of the world to a lost eternity. When people in our day hear the claims of the gospel, sometimes they react in anger. They reject the message, and they attack the messenger just as they did in Jesus' day. What do you think when you hear the claims of the gospel? Do you rejoice in its truth, knowing that it has saved your soul? Or do you hear it and reject its message, thinking that you know a better way? That's illustrated in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25. In verse 3, we see that the people stumbled over his person. As the people of Nazareth heard the message Jesus was preaching, they rejected his message because they thought they knew everything there was to know about him. He had grown up among them and was one of their own. They had seen him play there as a child. They knew his family. They thought they knew him. They knew that he had never been to the divinity schools. They knew that he had no formal training. They knew everything there was to know about Jesus, or so they thought. To them, Jesus was just another boy from Nazareth. He did not deserve their respect. They saw him as a common man. They also knew his occupation. They call him the carpenter. A carpenter in those days did not always build houses. Typically, they built ox yokes and plows. Sometimes they would build things like tables, chairs, beds, and etc. Sometimes the word carpenter referred to men who could do anything from carving a plate to building a house. The people of Nazareth probably had things in their possession that Jesus had built for them. They saw him as a common craftsman. Not that there's anything wrong with a common craftsman at all. My father was one. They looked at him and said, You are no better than we are. Why should we listen to you? We're told that they were offended in him. The word offended has the idea of causing us to stumble or to be repelled to the point of abandonment. Because these people could not explain Jesus, they refused to listen to Jesus. They could not see past the carpenter, and they refused to receive their theology from a common carpenter. These people did what all people do when they cannot understand someone. They resorted to ridicule. Ridicule is the final refuge of a small mind. I want you to remember that. Ridicule is the final refuge of a small mind. They called him the son of Mary. This was never done in that society. A male was always referred to as the son of his father, even if his father was dead. To call a boy the son of his mother was to imply that his mother had played the harlot. The people were calling the birth of Jesus into question. Of course, the people of that day rejected the notion that Jesus was born by supernatural, supernatural means through a virgin womb. 
They consistently called his birth into question. Look at John chapter 8, verse 41, and John chapter 9, verse 29. The people of Nazareth could not explain Jesus, so they reacted to his words, his wisdom, and his works with contempt and unvarnished ridicule. Listen to the contempt in their voices in verse 2 as they say, From whence hath this man these things? These people could not accept what they could not explain. This state of mind is still with us today. People reject what they cannot easily explain. When it comes to Jesus, there is much that cannot be explained to people's satisfaction. People seem to have little trouble with the manger scene. They seem to be able to accept a little harmless baby lying in a manger. But when you tell people that that little baby was born of a virgin, that he is God in the flesh, they can't handle that. People seem to have trouble with Jesus going about from place to place, preaching his message of love, peace, and acceptance like some itinerant philosopher. But when you tell them that he is the only Savior and that rejecting him will lead to him sending the the sinner directly into hell, they can't handle that. People seem to have no problem with a dead Jesus hanging in shame on a cross. But when you tell them that he rose again after he died and that he still lives today to save all those who accept him by faith, they can't handle that. If your concept of who Jesus is stops with a baby in a manger or a dead man on a cross, you are missing the whole point. You must come to the place where you understand that Jesus Christ is the very Son of God. Look at John 3.16. You must understand that he died for your sins on the cross and that he rose again from the dead. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 9. You must come to a place where you turn from your sins and believe on Jesus for your soul's salvation where you have no hope of heaven. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 13. There's much about Jesus, the Bible, and the gospel that I don't understand. For one thing, I can't figure out why he would love me. I can't figure out why he would even care where I'm going to spend eternity. I can't understand how he was able to save me from my sins when I simply ask him to. But my dear brothers and sisters, my questions do not stop me from believing. It doesn't stop my faith. What I don't understand does not prevent me from acting on what I do understand. Here's what I know and believe to be the absolute truth. Are you, do, are you taking notes? Are you ready? Let's go. Number one, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. John chapter 1, verse 1. Number two, Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Luke chapter 1, verses 25 through 38. Number three, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. Look at Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 22. Look at 1 John chapter 3 verse 5. I could keep going. Number four, Jesus Christ died for my sins on a cross on a hill called Calvary. 
Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6. And John chapter 1, verse 29. Hope you're taking notes. Number 5. Jesus Christ raised again from the dead three days later. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 6. Look at number six. Jesus Christ ascended back to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Look at Hebrews chapter one, verse three. Number seven. Jesus Christ is coming back to this world to receive his people unto himself. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses 13 through 18. Number nine. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Look at Revelation chapter 19, verse 16. And number 10, Jesus Christ is the only door to salvation. He is the only way into life. He is the only truth. Apart from him, there is no hope, no salvation, and no heaven. Look at John chapter 14, verse 6. Is that what you believe? Is it? If it isn't, please do not allow the claims of the Bible to cause you to stumble. Believe the message just as it is given and receive Jesus. Do not allow that which you do not understand to cause you to stumble and send you to hell. If we look at verses 4 through 6, the people shunned him because of his power. The people rejected Jesus and they rejected his message. His response to their unbelief is to quote a common proverb. In summary, the proverb Jesus told them simply means familiarity breeds contempt. The people of Nazareth, like people everywhere, took for granted what they had and wanted what they didn't have. They looked at Jesus and saw one of their own. They treated him as a common thing. Preachers who grow up in a church experience this problem all the time. The people in the church know you. They've watched you grow up. They've seen you succeed. And they've watched you fail. They cannot get past what they know about you to hear your preaching. If you're a preacher, the hardest place you will ever preach is your home church. You will find less acceptance there than you will anywhere else. Verse 5 tells us that because of their unbelief, Jesus was unable to perform many miracles there. Only a few sick folks were healed. Let's get one thing straight right now. Their unbelief did not hinder his power. Jesus was and is absolutely sovereign. He could have done anything there that he wanted to do. He possessed the power, but he refused to demonstrate his power in the face of blatant unbelief. The hands of Jesus were not tied. A few people came to him in faith and those people received his help. The rest rejected him and they were rejected by him. You know, th there's a word here for the health and wealth crowd. There's a word here for those who promote the cult of prosperity. People who have embraced the prosperity cult doctrine believe that God only responds to our faith. In other words, if you have enough faith, you will be healed. If you have enough faith, you will have plenty of money. If you have the faith, you can enjoy an endless heal, wealth, and blessing. The way of thinking 
this way of thinking, holds God captive to the will of man. I want to remind you that we serve a sovereign God. He can do whatever he pleases, when he pleases, and to whom he pleases. Our faith, or the lack thereof, does not pose a problem for him. In this case, Jesus refused to cast his pearls before the swine. They refused the message, and thus they forfeited the miracles. God's best blessings are not the works of healing, multiplying your loaves and fishes, or meeting your needs. The greatest work of God is saving, sealing, and securing lost souls. If you are saved, you have experienced the greatest of our Lord's works. When Jesus saw the depth of their rejection in verse 6, he marveled at their unbelief. The word marveled here means to stand in wonder and amazement. Jesus is said to have marveled only twice. Both times his amazement was over faith. He marveled at the great faith of a centurion in Luke chapter 7 verses 1 through 10. Here, Jesus marveled at the lack of faith among his own people. Jesus was amazed that these people had heard the truth, seen the truth, and still turned a deaf ear and a blind eye to that truth. And as a result, he left Nazareth, and there's no record that he ever returned there. Their rejection of Jesus was total, and he abandoned them to their choice. That is what the Lord does. He sends out a call for people to believe the gospel and be saved. Look at John chapter 1 verse 9. And when people reject the truth of the gospel and the message of salvation through Jesus, there is no more hope for them. He might call them again and he might not. Regardless, there will come a point where the Lord will call them no more and they are abandoned to their choice. Look at Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 33. Romans chapter 9 verses 18 through 24. There's a word here for the church. Jesus shows up when we meet. Look at Matthew chapter 18 verse 20. Jesus shows up when we meet. He desires to teach us truth and he wants to help us grow. If we come to the house of the Lord expecting something from God, we will be amazed at what he can do. However, if we come with a I've seen it all and I've heard it all before attitude, we can expect nothing from the Lord. We come to the church house and expect the preacher to preach it down and work it up. The fact is a great worship service demands the participation of both the preacher and the congregation. William Barclay put it this way, there can be no preaching in the wrong atmosphere. The congregation is responsible for at least half of every sermon. In an atmosphere of expectancy, the least effort will catch fire. In an atmosphere of coldness or indifference, the most spirit-filled of sermons will fall flat. If we don't want him here, Jesus will do what he did in Nazareth. He will leave and go elsewhere with his message and his miracles. We see in verse 6, we can have what we want in the house of worship. We can have glory, power, and the manifest presence of God, and we can have worship. Or we have cold, dead orthodox. We cannot have both. 
Once, A.J. Gossip was away preaching in a certain church. And when he returned the next Lord's Day, his pastor, the great Scottish preacher Andrew White, said, Where were you last Sunday evening? Gossip replied, I was over to a certain church preaching. How was it? asked White. Cold. I found it very cold, said Gossip. Cold, cried White. I'd say that place is cold. I preached there two years ago, and I still haven't got the chill out of my bones. I pray such a statement will never be made about a church that you attend or what you hear today on the internet and on the radio. I pray that we will embrace the Savior and all he wants to do in us and for us. I pray that we will be careful not to push him away. I pray that we will accept his word, his presence, and his power and Him make him welcome in any place of worship that we're in. Just as he did in Nazareth, he won't force himself on us. He, wanted for, he will not force himself on you. We can have his blessings or we can turn him away. If we embrace him, we'll experience more of his power and blessings than we can ever imagine. And if we don't want him here, he'll go somewhere else. And if we turn him away, he'll bless another church or another radio show or another internet show. I want him to, I want him to bless them and us too. There's plenty to go around. What happens to us is up to us. I'm afraid that a lot of denominations have become a lot like the people of Nazareth. You know, we're so familiar with the things of God, the message of the Bible, the crucifixion of Jesus, the burial, and the resurrection that we're no longer moved by them. We're reminded of what Jesus did for us, and we say, So what? What have you done for me today? We talk about the cross. No one cares anymore. Shame on us. We have allowed our hearts to grow cold and callous toward the things of God. Today would be a good time to get before the Lord and ask him to warm your cold heart one more time. There are some here that have never been saved. You've never embraced the death of Christ as your death. You've never confessed your sins and asked him into your life. You need to come to Jesus today. You need to be saved. Has the Lord spoken to your heart today through this show? If he has, let me ask you to do something very unusual. What I'm going to ask is so unusual that you might think I've gone crazy when I tell you what I'm thinking. But the Lord has touched your heart on any level. I'd like you to bow right now and let him do in your life what he wants to do. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for the time that we've had together to study your word and to learn more about what it means to embrace Jesus and be embraced by him. Father, if there be those in the sound of my voice, and I know there are, that have never accepted Jesus Christ, I ask you, Father, to move on their heart today. Move on their heart today that they will come to you. They will come to know Jesus and they will accept him as their Lord and Savior and ask for forgiveness of their sins. Father, if there are others who also in the sound of my voice are saved, but maybe, maybe they've shied away from, from the gospel. Maybe they've shied away from church. Maybe they've shied away from you. Father, maybe it's something that somebody said. Maybe it's something the preacher said. Maybe it's something the preacher's wife said. Maybe it's something a deacon said. Or maybe just something somebody said in one of the meetings. 
Father, I ask you to warm their heart and bring them back to you, Father, so they can experience the embrace of Jesus and of God's people. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you made a decision today, I would like to know about it. Please send an email to ministry at christ-lives.org or visit our website at www.christ-lives.org and, um, and visit our contact page there. And whatever message you may have, if you need prayer, you need whatever your need is, please note it. And I promise you that we will do our best to deliver it. My dear brothers and sisters, I thank you for your time today. May God bless you and keep you. Amen.